Okay, well, welcome everybody. It's episode eight of Nace Pod. Well done. If you've listened from the beginning, well done for having come this far. Uh, it's great. We're getting very close to my goal of having at least 10 episodes. So that is very exciting. Sorry about my voice this week. I'm feeling a bit, I'm a bit coldy, bit kind of, you know, sore throat and all that kind of stuff. It hasn't been too bad. I haven't had it as bad as some people, but there we go. These things happen, but I will struggle on with this uh, and do my best. Uh, so episode eight, what I thought I would do this week is um, follow on maybe a little bit from last week. So last week we were, I was talking about something that helped me uh, in that knowing that, believing that Jesus is the image of God and that Jesus on the cross is the ultimate, uh, most perfect revelation uh, of who God is. Uh, and while I was uh, chatting to you about that, I talked about the verse that God is love in 1 John 4. Uh, verse 8 says, anyone who does not, does not love, does not love. Let's try that again. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Um, and so we also looked at the fact that God is love and went into that a little bit. Just a few thoughts about that. Um, and what I thought we would do this week is we would look at the passage, something that helped me anyway, and, and really changed my thinking on God, which is the the love is passage in the New Testament that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13. And we, we mentioned it last week. And it says this, 1 Corinthians 13, from verse 4 to the first part of verse 8, is love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And the beginning of verse 8 says, love never ends. Now I was, um, I was somewhere and someone was speaking at a school that I'm a part of in my church and someone was speaking about uh, the father heart of God and the love of God and uh, all of that kind of stuff. And they mentioned this verse about love. They were talking about how God is love and all of this kind of thing. And he, uh, and they started going through this and they suddenly stopped and mentioned the, in verse five, it says it does not, love does not insist on its own way. And I remember hearing that and thinking, God does not insist on his own way. And it absolutely stopped me in my tracks when I heard that. And I mean, well, yes, yeah, since then I haven't really stopped thinking about that because that is a huge thing to think and believe. And there's a real about turn for me from what I used to believe. It used to be, I used to imagine God as, um, the big commander in the sky and it's his way or no way. And if you don't, then something bad's going to happen to you and you just have to obey him and do what he says. And that's all it is. Um, and so that's not really much of a relationship, is it? <laughs> that's, you know, if, if I believe that God is, um, three and one, so he's a Trinity three and one and that they, they kind of love one another they are other centered, then God is a relationship of three. 
So he is, it's like he's relationship itself. But if I, if I imagine a God that is just simply one who commands and tells me to do things and I just do it, that isn't really, I mean, that's a kind of relationship, but it's not the relation, that's not a loving relationship. Um, and so I wanted to just have a little look at, uh, maybe a couple of times in the Bible where God, uh, doesn't insist on his own way. And in fact, it seems like he may even change his mind. So the first place we're going to start is about God, uh, God wanting or not wanting Israel to have a king. So we'll start in Exodus 19. Um, yeah, Exodus 19, and we'll go from, we'll do verse 5 and 6. So verse 5 says this. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on the earth, for all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So this is where God is talking to Moses and he's setting out the covenant and the law with him and all of that stuff. And he tells them this, that he's going to be, uh, they're going to be his own special treasure from all the people he's chosen them. And they are going to, they are going to be his kingdom of priests, his holy nation. Um, so God here is talking about, and there are various other times as well as he's talking to Moses and telling him and throughout the Old Testament where God talks about, um, him being the one to lead Israel. He wants them to be his people. He's going to be their king. And he, it's like he wants to lead them just like he did in the wilderness when they escaped Egypt and he led them uh, and appeared as a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud and led them around and would hang out in the tent of meeting that they would set up whenever they set up camp. So that's God's ideal. That's what God wants. And that's what he has. That's his, his dream and his vision and his want for these people is this. But later on, after going through the wilderness um, and for 40 years, and then they go across the Jordan into the promised land and they begin to uh, settle in the promised land. The people uh, kind of get sick of the judges that are kept being put over them. So they keep putting judges over them and some of them are good and some of them are bad and the people just get fed up uh, and they want a king. Um, so... And the thing that actually starts this is a prophet, Samuel the prophet, um, who is, who is talked about in one Samuel, puts his, um, sons as judges and they're no good. And that's like the final straw. Okay. If the man of God, um, sets his sons up and they're no good, then that's it. We, we don't want the judges anymore. We want a king. And so Samuel gets very upset about this. Um, because I suppose maybe his dream was that his sons, his sons would be, um, kings and, uh, judges and would rule. Um, so he's upset and he's, uh, very annoyed and he, he goes to God and God says this to him in, in 1 Samuel 8, this is, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So here's God who sets out in Exodus 19 and he's saying, I'm going to be the one who leads you. I'll be your king. You know, he talks about a lot of the time through Exodus and Leviticus. He talks about how he wants them to be holy as, his, as he is holy. So set apart from what 
other people are doing, what other tribes and nations are doing. And part of that is his dream that he would be the one who leads them. And yet here we are in 1 Samuel 8 and God says, I tell you what, I tell you what, let them have what they want and I can still work with that. Which is incredible, right? You would think surely if if they disobey him, then he's just going to wipe them out, wipe them off the face of the planet because he's the big God and you have to do what I say. And if you don't do what I say, then you're going to go. But this doesn't, this isn't a story that tells that. This tells a different story about God. And so the second example I want to look at is, um, is another one, uh, in the Old Testament. It's about Moses. It's again, uh, between Moses and God. And it's in Numbers 14. And Israel, the nation are complaining again. So there seems to be something about, uh, change is always called for when uh, either when everything's going badly and everybody thinks right well something needs to change now and maybe that's when all change happens really when we kind of all get into that bad place or or maybe something something incredible compels us to do something new there's certainly change seems to definitely happen when things are going bad where people are desperate and something needs to happen anyway so they're complaining about being in the wilderness uh, in Numbers 14, and actually they want to stone Moses and Aaron. Uh, they're like, why did you bring us out here? We'll kill them and we'll just get another leader and then we'll go back to Egypt, right? They'll go, they want to go back to the slavery that they knew because at least they they knew that. They knew their, what their day would be and they knew kind of the, the idea. Um, they knew what to do, whereas when they begin to step out into the new thing, they don't quite know what to do and they're a bit scared and now they're getting very frustrated and angry. And so they want to stone them. And then it says, the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting for everyone to see. Okay. And so <clears throat> God appears in his, the glory of the Lord appears uh, at the tent. And now this next bit, I don't know if everybody in the nation of Israel heard this, or whether it was just specifically for Moses. I'm not entirely sure. But God said, this is verse 11 and 12. And God says, and the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I've done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and in, and disinherit them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they are. So God's saying, right, why am I sticking it? out with these guys why don't I just wipe them off Moses and we'll just start again with you you seem to be the only one listening to me and doing what I want so why don't we just get rid of that start again do the you know do the flood and the Noah thing and that would be that would be much easier seemingly that's what he's saying anyway but then later on so in verses uh, 19 and 20 Moses begins replying um, replies to him and in 1920 it says Please pardon the iniquity of this these of this people, according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. So he reminds God in verse nineteen about um, about how he said he was ste- his steadfast love, and that he's slow to anger, and that these are the people he's chosen, and these are this is the dream he had for them, that these people would bring about a new way of living a new creation into this world and that they would begin to show others and bless others and that why would you say that and and wipe them out because if you do it'll get back to other people and they'll just say oh 
look, their God just took them into the wilderness to destroy them. Uh, so he says, you know, pardon what these people have done. Remember your steadfast love and you've forgiven this people from Egypt until now. So they haven't been perfect. And then God says in verse 20, uh, then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. And so here's Moses seemingly changing the mind of God on something, just as Israel did with the king, with wanting a king, a man called Moses changed God's mind. And this changes a lot for me because what this says is God is not one who controls us, right? God, God cannot and will not control you because God is, because if God is love, then he has to be able to give a choice. He may have, he, he always wants it. He always wants your best. I fully believe that God always wants your best and that he is so, so good. But even when you choose to go another way, he says, well, okay, I'm not going to force you to do anything because forcing someone to do something isn't love, right? Love always um, gives you freedom to choose. Love is freedom. Love, is, loves gives you, love gives you the freedom to accept it or reject it. Um, and it's really hard when that isn't around. I mean, maybe, maybe there's been a relationship or something that you've been in or that I've been in. Uh, that's, that can be manipulative, um, or a friend or a, or a group of people who just seem very manipulative and, uh, you it's almost like you feel used by them and you feel trapped. I think that's something that happens in those where they're trying to control you and keep you feel very trapped in where you are like you you don't have a choice you just have to do what they say and they want to uh, make sure you're doing the right thing and it's kind of feels like someone's standing over you and watching you the whole time and and that's horrible right but love doesn't do that love doesn't trap us love just offers something love love doesn't grab your hand and take you away love offers its hand to you and you can choose to take the hand and walk with it to the next place or you, you don't have to and you can go a different way. Love always invites and it never forces. And this is the incredible thing about God. God never forces us to do anything. God never um, uh, uh, grabs our hand and leads us away. He only ever offers his and says, will you come with me? Do you want to take this step? Do you want to come on, come on this walk with me? And so that's why God never insists on his own way. Because if he is love, then he meets you where you are and invites you to walk with him. So maybe that's changed how you feel of God. And maybe I tell you what, maybe there are other instances in the Bible that you can think of where God does this, right? I mean, obviously Jesus, I wanted to put some Old Testament ones in there because that's a bit different. But uh, obviously we see it all the time in Jesus. Jesus never forces himself on someone. He just invites people to come. The disciples, he never said, you must come with me. He just invited them, follow me, and started walking, and off they went with him. So maybe that's changed how you look at God, and I hope it has, because um, it's really changed how I think about God and about how he empowers us and he loves us and he gives us choice and freedom 
and that he does not insist on its own way. So thanks for listening. I hope that's helped and maybe that's challenged you. Maybe you think that's a load of rubbish, whatever, I don't mind. But um, hopefully that has helped um, and you've got something from that. Uh, And if you can think of any other examples in the Bible, uh, please tweet those. That would be fascinating to hear. Uh, The Twitter account is at pod underscore Nath. That's uh, P-O-D underscore N-A-T-H. And it would be great to hear from you. Again, if you are getting something out of this, uh, this pod, and you'd like to rate and review, that would be marvellous on iTunes, or I suppose anywhere you download this from. Uh, That would be great, because that just helps people find it. uh, And I'd love to help others. If this is helping you, then that would be great if you could rate and review. Uh, Anyway, it's been wonderful speaking. And I love you all, and I will see you next week.